everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. I am your host, Jordan Cruciola, and my co-host for today, showrunner, producer, uh, woman about town in Hollywood, really. Right now, she is heading up the show iCarly. You might previously know her work writing and producing on shows such as Champions or Mary Happy Whatever. Ali Shouten. Did I say that correctly, first of all? You did, but you know what? I realized this is my first opportunity. I am newly Allie Shouten Seeks. Allie Shouten? Uh, okay. <laughs> I just got married. We're it. Oh my God, congratulations. Yeah, this is my first time at, uh, doing a podcast or having a credit or anything with, with Shouten Seeks. Okay. So. Being, being the captain of the ship that is iCarly. How did you come? How did you come to iCarly? Were you a were you a fan of this show originally? Were you like I got to get on? Yeah, this? so like, I am a little older okay. than the iCarly uh, generation. Listen, um, who knows when you're coming into a Nick original or a DCOM? Like, no judgments here. <laughs> I mean, I was familiar with the show, sure. obviously, but then I started watching a bunch of uh, episodes, and it was the very, very, very beginning of the pandemic. Oh, so I okay. was watching this show about this girl who has a web channel mm-hmm. and is connecting with other kids and their talents all across the country and the world. Mm-hmm. She really got a ground floor on that. I know, right? And it was <laughs> wow. this total wish fulfillment. Like, can you imagine having a YouTube channel? Yeah, wow, like, Carly. You know, and then meanwhile, my life was, you know, TikTok videos and Zoom open mics yeah. and the show felt very relevant to me. So even though I didn't watch it as a kid, um, because I wasn't a kid when it was on, (laughs) um, I felt like it was hugely current and it just felt ripe for a revival. And I just was really excited about kind of the general space of it. And then I met Miranda Cosgrove really early in the process and she and I really clicked. She's awesome and she's like very into it as a producer. Oh, excellent. Well, okay, so it's not iCarly, um, but it's still iconic. Uh, <laughs> what have you brought, what characters have you brought for us to discuss today? Characters in the form of one vessel, really. Yes, so I've brought in Kathleen Kelly and Sally Albright mm. from You've Got Mail and When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I'm when I got the offer to come on this podcast, I was like, oh, I just want to talk about those movies. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, I'll, I'll figure out what exactly... <laughs> It is. I mean, I have been called Sally Albright for my lunch orders, literally, on Young and Hungry. Oh! Uh, I, I was given the nickname Sally Albright because my lunch orders were very, I like things the way I like them. Yeah. You know, I wanted, I wanted the Lobster Club, but I wanted the bacon extra crispy, and I wanted it on olive bread, and I wanted no aioli, mm-hmm. and I wanted, like, You were a manic pixie dream girl, Allie. <laughs> well, no, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you said that because no. my whole... Okay, I'm so glad you want to engage with this. Yes! Yes, yes. When I watched the movies, I realized, so I saw You've Got Mail when I was, when it came out. Yeah. And I owned it on VHS, and uh, I loved that movie, and I had the soundtrack, and I would listen to the CD of the soundtrack all the time. And I uh, went to an all-girls school, and it was the beginning of AOL, Mm -hmm. and so I would sometimes be, like, emailing with the boys from uh, the the brothers' school that I would do plays with. And I would model these sort of email relationships off, like, trying to be, like, Kathleen Kelly and Joe <laughs> Trying Fox. to be the shop girl. Exactly. And, I mean, really, there are such specific things in that movie that I'm like, yeah, I, like, ripped off that line. <laughs> 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 like, the, these teenage boys hadn't seen You've Got Mail. They didn't know. Well, okay, so what is, can you, what is You've Got Mail about? The premise of You've Got Mail, it's a remake of a movie called Shop Around the Corner, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um... And the premise is very late 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, It is uh, Meg Ryan plays Kathleen Kelly, and um, she is the owner of a small children's bookstore called Shop Around the Corner. And Tom Hanks plays Joe Fox, uh, the youngest of the three Fox men, and the Fox men own Fox Books, Mm -hmm. which is like a Barnes and Nobles. You know, it's got like a Starbucks built in Mm -hmm. and... Um, and it's the flashy new thing that's coming to the Upper West Side. 
and putting all these independent bookstores out of business so because 90s. it's this mega store. Yeah. Uh, it's so 90s. And you just realize now, like, she, her store would probably be back, but Amazon would have put him out of business. Yeah, that is so... <laughs> that, and I, I, was, I was watching, it was like, oh my God, this movie is so 90s. He just ordered a mochaccino non-fat. Oh, I have <laughs> so many thoughts about the, the coffee orders in that. Tall. Decaf. Cappuccino. So the thing about Kathleen Kelly is that she is kind of a manic pixie dream girl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She um, has this whimsical job. Mm -hmm. um, And I don't know if you've seen They Came Together, which was a send up of rom coms, specifically uh, of You've Got Mail. I mean, it's like Amy Poehler's character owns a candy store where all the proceeds go to charity and (laughs) everything is free. Okay, outstanding. Like, it's so good. Um, and so, uh, but so um, Kathleen Kelly owns this adorable children's bookstore. Mm-hmm. She's really sweet and like she's this sort of figure on the Upper West Side mm-hmm. where all these other book people have heard of her. And, um, you know, we, we just hear about all these wonderful things. She has a handkerchief and her favorite flower is a daisy <laughs> because it's the friendliest flower. <laughs> and she's just so well. cute. And... Um, Tom Hanks, meanwhile, is a businessman. Yeah. And, but when he writes emails, so they uh, meet online mm-hmm. and they don't know that they're writing to each other. Dear friend, I like to start my notes to you as if we're already in the middle of a conversation. I pretend that we're the oldest and dearest friends as opposed to what we actually are. People who don't know each other's names. Morning, Mr. Fox. And met in a chat room where we both claimed we'd never been before. What will NY152 say today, I wonder? I turn on my computer. I wait impatiently as it connects. I go online and my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You got mail. I hear nothing, not even a sound on the streets of New York, just the beat of my own heart. I have mail from you. They start an email correspondence and they fall in love over email. But in real life, they're these rivals. Um, and about halfway through the movie, Tom Hanks, uh, Joe Fox, realizes who Meg Ryan, mm-hmm. Kathleen Kelly, is. Uh, he puts it together. So for a lot of the movie, sweet little Kathleen Kelly, mm-hmm. for the whole movie, she doesn't know who she's really talking to. But he does. Yeah. And he's manipulating all these situations so that she'll fall in love with them both in real life and online. Yes. Um, so that at the very end, she can say the iconic line, I wanted it to be I you. Wanted I wanted it, wanted to, it be to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I cried. I cried. Um, but so I took her as the model of, you know, the manic pixie dream girl I wanted to be. Right. You know, I wore mismatched socks. I did everything to be a little quirkster. Okay. Um, and I... Didn't see When Harry Met Sally mm-hmm. until I was in college. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a good time to see When Harry Met Sally. It's a great time. I because think you I went still... actually in the right order if you were going to come at them, not linear. This is, yeah. This is what I have come here to say. Okay. Good. This, is the or- this is the evolution of me <laughs> is that I spent so long trying to be Kathleen Kelly mm-hmm. and, uh, when truly I needed to embrace my Sally Albright. Your Sally Albright. I like things the way I like them, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> and so in You've Got Mail, the big arc is is that she learns to toughen up a little bit, I mm-hmm. guess, mm-hmm. Um, and that he learns to, you know, soften yeah. from her whimsy and sweetness and <laughs> He learns to open his heart yeah, up. Yeah, he can see stuff. the world with fresh eyes again kind of thing. Exactly. We have a similar story in When Harry Met Sally, which is about um, Meg Ryan again, mm-hmm. who plays Sally Albright, uh, and who's kind of a, you know, uptight uh, Miss Hospital Corners is how she's referred yeah, to Ms. as Hospital one point. Yeah, Hospital Corners, yeah. It takes her an hour and a half to order a sandwich. She just, she's very particular, very neat, um, you know, uses a calculator to calculate the tip, all of this stuff. Um, and then in contrast, uh, Billy Crystal plays Harry Burns and he is really proud of his dark side. Yeah, and he's so dark. You no, know, you're probably one of those cheerful people who dots their eyes with little hearts. 
I have just as much of a dark side as the next person. Oh, really? When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. That, my friend, is a dark side. Now, in that movie, again, he's kind of softened by her, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because you don't usually get the uptight character softening mm-hmm. um, the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. You don't really get the this the that. Happening usually, it's like about how she needs to relax. Yeah, and she relaxes a little bit, but really, she doesn't have much of an arc. Not really. And I love that. Yes, it's no, true. It's you're amazing. so right. Sally gets to pretty much stay Sally through and yes. call him on his shit throughout exactly. the twelve-year timeline of this movie. So I love that you brought up the and so the premise of this movie is just it's these two people meet um, when they graduate from college. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the next 12 years, um, they prove and disprove his theory that's presented at the beginning of the movie that men and women can never be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Yes. Very heteronormative, but yeah. leaving that aside, um, it's a very simple premise. You're just seeing scenes in the life of these two friends um, and how they eventually get together. Mm-hmm. And and it's, you know, very basic rom-com stuff done just at the highest level. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, completely. It's genius. Um but what's what I realized is that this is a woman who is called she calls herself difficult mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah. Um and in the beginning, oh yeah, so going back to the thing about he reads the last page of the book. Yeah. He proudly tells her. Yeah. 22-year-old Harry proudly tells 22-year-old Sally. You don't have a dark side. I have a dark side. <laughs> yeah. I read the last page of the book just in case I die. And yeah. she says, as a 22-year-old, that doesn't make you deep or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean you're deep or anything. I mean, yes, basically I'm a happy person. So am I. And I don't see that there's anything wrong with that. Of course not. You're too busy being happy. Do you ever think about death? Yes. Sure you do. A fleeting thought that drifts in and out of the transom of your mind. I spend hours. I spend days. And you think this makes you a better person? Look, when the shit comes down, I'm going to be prepared. And you're not. That's all I'm saying. In the meantime, you're going to ruin your whole life waiting for it. And he's sort of mocking her from the very beginning for her long orders about, like, well, I want the pie like this, but if you don't have... Uh, strawberry ice cream, then I'll have whipped cream, but only if it's real whipped cream. Yeah, it's like a series of like SAT analogies to make pie all about. Exactly. And everyone's like rolling their eyes. But the very last line of the movie is the two of them talking about their wedding cake. The wedding cake with the coconut and the chocolate It's a very beautiful coconut cake with a very rich chocolate sauce, but you have to keep it on the side because the coconut gets too soggy. And he's like looking at her and he loves this about her now. We had this really, really wonderful wedding. It was, it really was a, it was Beautiful great. We wedding. had this enormous uh, coconut cake. Huge coconut cake with the, with the tears, and there was this, this very rich chocolate sauce on the side. Right, because not everybody likes it on the cake because it makes it very soggy. It's particularly the coconut soaks up a lot of that stuff, so you really, it's important to keep it on the side. Right. And watching watching Shh. him come to that place of like, that, because it's, it's they, they have the interstitials throughout when Harry met Sally of like old couples talking about yes. their origin stories and, and how long they've mm-hmm. been together and how long they got together. And, and you, you know, for, for the purposes of like, it's lovely, but also you're seeing people who are so lived in with each other over the course of decades mm-hmm. and they have this sort of hive mind and how they communicate about their lives. And then the very last insert we get after the New Year's kiss is Harry and Sally and they, they got together and they got married three months later because it's already been a 12 year story for them. Yeah. And, and <laughs> 12 years and three months. 12 years and three months. <laughs> and so then they started talking and you know, Oh, it was a great wedding. We had a great cake. We had, and it was a coconut cake. And then she starts, well, you got to have the chocolate sauce and the chocolate sauce. Is, and he starts completing her thought of being like, but you got to yeah. keep it on the side because it gets soggy and not everybody likes that. She's like, yeah, and especially he's like with the rolling coconut. his eyes, but he's not, but he's he loves not. it. And he knows she's right. That's the thing is, And there's another scene. Oh, one of my favorite scenes is the dinner scene where they're trying to set up uh, each other with their best (laughs) friends. And he is trying to talk her up Mm -hmm. and he goes, oh, Sally's an expert orderer. Not only does she pick the best thing on the menu, but she orders it in a way even the chef didn't know how good it could be. And like, I just love that instead of it being like, and she learned to just eat the sandwich she was given. (laughs) Which I feel like is a lot of rom-coms. It's like, and the uptight woman learned that she needed to quit her job and, you know, run across a field of flowers. And you're like, she did? No, I think that is that. And and like watching, 
there's a there's a, a great exchange between the two of them as well where he's just flipped out because he's had an encounter with his his ex-wife Helen at this point mm-hmm. and he's been a, a dick to his friends who have just moved in together and she goes out to sort of talk him down and she's like Harry, you can't just say everything you feel all of the time mm-hmm. at any moment you feel it. And that's such to me a role reversal of versus the like emotional woman who just can't stop expressing herself and the rational man. And she is telling him in that moment, like, you can't just be popping off all the time saying everything that's in your head. And I think yeah. that I recently was educated on the concept. Tell me if you've heard this of born sexy yesterday. Have you heard this term? Oh my God. I'm so excited to learn about this concept. <laughs> a dear friend of mine, we have a we have a, a podcast about robot cinema and the the sort of history of it, robot politics, robot queerness, robot everything. And th- a very common thing that you see with fembots is this notion of like the freshly created woman sexy bot who is so <laughs> in awe of the man she has met who has perhaps created her or found her or something. But it extends, of course, (laughs) past robots. Other examples they give are like um, Daryl Hannah in Splash. This character, (laughs) these these female characters who at times even will perhaps even walk around naked because they don't know to know shame. So their sexy, gorgeous bodies are on display for us to ogle. But it's charming and it's cute, but it's also hugely a turn-on because these are adult, attractive women. And sort of the... principle behind the uh, YouTube channel Pop Culture Detective, the gentleman who runs that is the one who kind of coined this. And the one of the key components of Born Sexy Yesterday is that so often with these characters, like in My Stepmother's an Alien as well with Kim Basinger, these sort of like freshly arrived to humanity women. A Kuora in Tron Legacy. A key component of this is the Born Sexy Yesterday female character developing an intense attachment to our male hero who is often the first and or only man they have ever met. And so not only is this person like their guide and steward, they are the most funny, the most interesting, the most knowledgeable, because they are the single source of humor, information, and and knowledge, guidance in the entire world. And isn't there just nothing fucking better than being the only man a woman has ever experienced and being her measuring post for absolutely everything? Yeah. But in Harry Met Sally, you have this girl who, like, from the outset is like, you read the last page, that doesn't make you deep. Like, all that makes you is somebody who's not going to enjoy anything between now and the point that you die because you're just constantly thinking about the end. We have she her says being that. Like, She's like, and you're going to waste your whole life just thinking about it. Yeah. We have in her almost like an, like, despite her sort of like, there's that sprightliness when we first meet Sally when she's in the well, car. It's Meg Ryan. Yeah, it's Meg she's Ryan. Adorable. And she's very, <laughs> and she's very kind of ladybird when we first meet her. Like, I want to experience things. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm going to New York and I'm going to be a journalist. And there's that, yeah. like, the Meg Ryan of it all, just like the presence and the sparkle in the glint. But it, she is not the born sexy yesterday character. She is immediately informed on how this guy is bullshit. And it takes him 12 years to get on her level and be like, yes. no, but actually all these things about you, I love. And they're the things that have been true this whole time. And we're in this moment because I've gotten smarter. Exactly. So two things that I'm thinking about as you're saying that, I hope I'll remember both of them, but I guarantee I won't. Um, so first of all, uh, in You've Got Mail, um, she runs a shop. Mm-hmm. Her love interest puts her out of business, <laughs> yes. uh, which is framed as this like inevitable thing. Yeah. Uh, puts her out of business and then hires her um, em- her male employee yeah. to run the children's department at his store. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Steve's on. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Not cool. <laughs> um, so reality but, bites. Uh, yeah. And and then she winds up writing a children's book mm-hmm. and gives him credit for getting her thinking about writing. Which I'm like, huh? Why did he why does he get credit? Like what? we never saw that. Like, you're so good at writing, you should be right. Like, we never saw that moment or anything. Yeah. Um, so she so that's her evolution as she like realizes like Actually, it was so good. Yeah. It's good that I got put out of business. <laughs> yeah. like, whatever. I'm so glad you taught me these hard life lessons. Exactly. Now, Sally Albright says, I'm going to New York to go to journalism school to be a reporter. And that's going to be my life. Yeah. And it's going to be great. 
And then that's exactly what happens. Yep. She becomes a journalist and she's really good at it. She writes for the New allegedly. Yorker. <laughs> and like, she's, that's correct. Like she absolutely knew he's making fun of her. Like, oh, so you can write about things that happen to other people. Yeah. And then ultimately she's totally right and knows who she is. Mm-hmm. So that's really an- another core difference between these two characters. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting is that, you know, for, for the unevolved, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you you have this and look, Kathleen Kelly's a great complex character. Yeah. Uh it and but I get why I think twelve year old me was like, that's who I want to be, and twenty-two year old me was like, uh, no, I already am this other person and I know what I want to do and I, I uh know how I like my sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so yeah, so that was one thing. And then the other thing I just uh there's a great moment where Sally tells Harry Um, I just didn't want to sleep with you, and you had to write it off as a character flaw. You know, the first time we met, I really didn't like you that much. I didn't like you. Yeah, you did. You were just so uptight then. You're much softer now. You know, I hate that kind of remark. It sounds like a compliment, but really it's an insult. Okay, you're still as hard as nails. I just didn't want to sleep with you, and you had to write it off as a character flaw instead of dealing with the possibility that it might have something to do with you. What's the statute of limitations on apologies? Ten years. Ooh, I can just get it in under the wire. I mean, and it's so great. She just has a read on the whole situation, like you said, when she, you know, is telling him you can't say everything you're thinking all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, she has, yes, the Meg Ryan innocence and cuteness yeah. and everything, but she has a real savvy and a real self-awareness. Um, and... I mean, I haven't even talked about how she spends a whole movie saying exactly what she wants. Yeah. She wants to be a reporter. That's a great point. She wants to live together but not be married Mm -hmm. until she doesn't. You know, so she has a long-term boyfriend. They both say they want to live together but not be married Mm -hmm. because they want to be spontaneous. She realizes she wants a family. He says he doesn't. Mm -hmm. So they break up. You know, every, every moment of the movie, she's very unashamed to say what she wants. Mm -hmm from her life, um, which I think another, you know, trope calling out that I love is the cool girl. Yeah. Uh, monologue, of course, from, from gone girl. And, um, she's not cool girl at all. Yeah. Sally Albright is the anti-cool girl. Yes. You know, she's high maintenance, but thinks she's low maintenance, which is <laughs> called out and she's like, fuck off. Um, you know, she says she wants a relationship. She says she wants a family. Mm. She isn't going to sleep with people if it's not making love. Uh-huh. She's not chill at all. She's not chill. zero chill. Yep. And I love that. I have no chill. So <laughs> I just, I, I, and look, I spent a lot of time claiming to not want a relationship to a lot of people I dated. But I, you know, ultimately, I think there's a lot to be learned from, you know, Kathleen Kelly, when she and her partner break up, yeah. it's completely amicable mm-hmm. where she goes, you don't love me. Me either. <laughs> it's the easiest breakup in the world. Yeah. It's like, yes, that would be the dream. But is that ever going to happen? Right. People yeah. Equally do not love each other. And and, and um, aren't even whereas, like, and it, they're not even like melancholy in the moment. It's like, even if it's right. the most, am- like, I don't want to hurt you. You don't want to hurt me. It, but you're both like, right. but we're both in pain. And she's just like, it's whimsical in that moment right. of like, we don't love each other. And Sally initially does have an amicable breakup, but she describes seeing a family and mm-hmm. starting to cry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the least cool, chill <laughs> thing ever. And yeah. I love that. And just saying like, I realized in that moment, I, I didn't want the thing I thought I wanted. And so I changed my mind and ended this relationship. I mean, That's fantastic. (laughs) We are going to take a quick break, but we will be right back with Allie. And afterward, I will have one quick thing before I go about mood switch, guys. South Korean action horror, The Witch Part 2, The Other One. I'm here to tell you about it to make sure that you know. Stick around. Hello, I'm a stuffy dowager countess. Travis? I'm judging everybody's manners. Oh, no. Schmanners isn't judgy. It's about teaching you to be your best self 
and be a little more confident when you enter social situations that you don't understand, and maybe also teach you a little bit about history you didn't know, or give you interesting things to talk about at parties. Yeah, like The Secret Life of Emily Post. Or like why wristwatches are the way that they are. We can talk about table manners from the Victorian era. Sure, or what it's like to attend a Regency Ball. Yeah. Uh, you can find all that and more if you listen to Schmanners on Maximum Fun or wherever your podcasts come from, I guess. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? A man was walking along a beach which represented his life. At his feet were two sets of footprints, his and God's. But looking back down the beach, the man could see that in the hardest parts of his life, there was only one set of footprints. So the man said to God, Why is there only one set of footprints when times were hard? Where were you? And God replied, My precious child, I was in my car, listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast, and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I am talking with writer and showrunner Ali Shouten-Seeks. We have been talking about two characters played by the great Meg Ryan in the great heyday of the romantic comedy and all the ways that Allie has identified with each of them as she has grown. So let's get back into it. I feel like we both grew up on Meg Ryan movies. I, <laughs> totally. The, and the two, the two dominant ones in my house were IQ and French Kiss. Okay, I haven't seen those. Oh my God. Those are, those oh are, my God. yeah, I, I highly recommend. Oh, great. It's Meg Ryan's new, you're in for it. But IQ, I just have to say, IQ, she plays the the granddaughter or niece of Einstein, and it's set in the <laughs> 50s, and it's her and Tim Robbins, and uh, he pretends to be a genius to, with the help of Einstein and his friends to, like, woo Einstein's niece. And then <laughs> French Kiss, she goes, chasing, she goes chasing Timothy Hutton to France after he leaves her, and she ends up, like, in cahoots with a French... Kevin Klein, who's going to help her get her man back. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, but it just, there's such, even in both of those movies, what you don't get is what the thing you get in Harry Met Sally, which is getting to watch Meg Ryan in all of that wonderful Meg Ryan brightness and shininess. Yeah. Telling a guy, fuck you, multiple times. <laughs> yes. And slapping Billy Crystal across the face. Like, I mm -hmm. so appreciate watching now how much, like we've been talking about, how much When Harry Met Sally lets Sally be. Like how much of mm -hmm. everything she gets to be and how not dictated by the packaging of Meg Ryan that mm -hmm. those moments of sort of honest ferocity are from her. And I think that's really special. When you go on to see like because you've got mail comes 10 years later when there's yeah. a, there's a there's a much like more concrete image of what Meg Ryan rom-com star looks like and it's a classic in its own right, but it's interesting going from like the the younger role with the sort of permission to have all of that sort of that anger in her at times versus more of like the mellowed out in Kathleen Kelly in 1998. And you're opposite Tom Hanks and he's kind of the heel in this. He's kind of the cat. Yeah, which is a great role for him because he's so... I mean, we haven't even talked about the whole concept of likability, which I hate as a concept, but it's very much on display. Tell, tell me you about likability with Meg Ryan. Tell me about this. How, are we, I mean, how do we learn a, through this, through, learn this through her and how do we see subversions of it through her? Yeah, I mean, I think that in both these movies, you know, you feel the studio note of well, like, she can't be a slut, you yeah. know, and she can't, um, she can't, I mean, she says so many times when Harry met Sally, like, how she's not sleeping with people. And there's really good reasoning on it, which I think is great. She's not gonna have casual sex and, mm -hmm. uh, because that's not for her. And, and it's done in, it's done really well, but at the same time, she could never be the one of the two of them sleeping yeah. with all the people she's going out with. Of course, you have these actors who are all very likable. Yeah. Um, they've they've got whatever it is for the time. They've got nice, attractive, palatable, straight whiteness. Yeah, uh, yeah, happening totally. For they've them. got all and the permissions. They've got all the privilege. Yes, exactly. And and she's operating within 
the acceptable feminine norms Mm -hmm. that we find likable, for lack of a good word at all (laughs) to explain it. You know, the men get to behave a lot more badly yes. in these yes. movies. Uh, but spe- I do think You've Got Mail is the worst offender on it, again. I, I completely agree because a backbone of when Harry met Sally is, like, at one point, like, she, he says something to her, about like, he ins- he says some sort of biting comment, and he's like, I'm, don't take it personally. She's like, it's personal because, like, I am, an, I am a woman, and, like, you are an affront to all women. Like, yes. she is making it clear that this guy is a cad. And exactly. She, every five years or so, she re-encounters him until they start developing, like, a meaningful friendship and is reminded over and over again, God, you are still a shit. Yeah, and, you know, so I, I think that if you were to tell both Kathleen Kelly and Sally Albright, you're not like other girls, <laughs> Kathleen <laughs> Kelly would be like, I know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 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 oh. That's totally <laughs> true. And and love it. And I, if you were to tell 12-year-old Allie that, she would be thrilled. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And then, you know, I think Sally kind of realizes that's not a compliment that you <laughs> really want to receive. That that's actually just steeped in so much grossness. And, um, <laughs> so I, I think that that's what it boils down to is that Sally is not as concerned Mm -hmm. with being likable. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you are operating within the Hollywood confines of likability, but you have this character that's kind of bossy and, um, you know, very opinionated and is faking orgasms in the middle of a deli and and not, you know what I mean? And and she, and that's supposed to be like a character growth moment for her, you know, uptight Sally before wouldn't do that, but it's still all subverting Harry's expectations. Everything she said from the very beginning is is going against his notions that he's used to impress women. And she's like, I'm not impressed. And she does it so... You're gross. The, the, thing I, the thing I enjoy most about the diner scene now is how unselfconsciously she makes that choice mm-hmm. in the moment. Because even if it is counterintuitive to Miss Hospital Corners, right. she's not going to be talking about that the next day. It's going to be like, right. we're still hung up on that. Like, I made a choice in the moment. I did it. It's over. Like, gr- grow up. Move on. Mm-hmm. There isn't like, it's not like a, okay, I'm going to shirk my inhibitions and I'm going to go to the bathroom first and like, you know, fix my clothes. Like, and she right. doesn't have to like collect herself after. He just gives her that look and she just keeps eating her pie. Exactly. And I like what a non-event it is for her to be so disruptive in a space like that. I'll have what she's having. Yes, because she's going to prove her point, you know? She's not going to lose an argument. And that's another thing that we're, <laughs> yeah. we're sort of... Kathleen Kelly, there's the whole scene where she's sick, which, oh my God, I thought it was so romantic. And then watching it again, I'm like, this woman asked this man to leave like six <laughs> times and he refuses and it's oh not romantic. And he's like, I wanted to be your friend. And she's like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) She asked you to go, Tom Hanks. Get out of there. (laughs) Uh, Why did you stop by again? I forget. I wanted to be your friend. Oh. I knew it wasn't possible. What can I say? Sometimes a guy just wants the impossible. Again, going back to, you know, Tom Hanks knows that uh, Kathleen is shop girl the whole second half of the movie yes. and is just like putting in, in these machinations to make sure that she will accept him even though mm-hmm. uh, he put her out of business mm-hmm. because she's so in love with NY152, uh, yeah. his, his screen name. And, she, you know, she is just patiently being yeah. told how to feel. And... Yeah. and Whereas, you know, Harry and Sally, it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. They both have agency in this relationship and, and what ends up happening. Well, yeah, and it does a, it does a nice thing in the setup with, at the setup from with, when Harry met Sally, where like the whole point of the two of these characters is that they are brutally honest with each other from the start. Yes. There's not a, there's not a version of Harry that he is for Sally that he is to other people. There's not a version mm-hmm. of Sally. They have, there's no strings attached. They're just on this car ride from U Chicago to New York. So they're just like, let's talk about life. And she's like, you're kind of a, you're kind of a shit. And he's like, you're <laughs> kind of uptight. And so that's like, they need each other on at least those terms of neither of them, like running a game on the other one. Whereas right. like by the time she's like, I wanted it to be you to Joe Fox. It's kind of like, 
wait, why do you want it to be Joe Fox? <laughs> right. It's because the last, and it's only the last, like, 10 minutes of the movie that Joe and Kathleen in real life are developing yeah. this friendship. And, and yeah, that's yeah. what, what's, like, priming her, and that's the word that's used, uh, mm-hmm. is... <laughs> Grooming? Priming her, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah and, right. ooh, um, and to to love him. And mm-hmm. um yeah, so it's there's it's weird because it's a very romantic. I mean, look, I cry at the end of that movie every time. Yeah, man. and I'm being so critical, but I'm being really critical of myself. <laughs> Don't cry, shop girl. Don't cry. And I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. No, I, I'm completely with you. And, and, and a thing I wanted to ask because an extension of that is like when you started becoming the writer of stories, what did you, what were some like of the things you were most excited to do with your own creative work, like with character, perhaps with women or perhaps with perhaps with male characters? Because you were like, I've been waiting for this thing. And I guess if I don't do it, like, I don't know when I'm going to see it. When when did you want to use the power of being the creator in making your own characters, perhaps in their own love stories? Yeah, I mean, I, I um, for me, it really clicked in when I, when I was in grad school and I was encouraged to write more personal stories because I kept being mm. like, I just want to write broad comedies. You know, it doesn't mm. have to be emotional. And of course it does in order to be funny <laughs> and in order yeah. to be good storytelling. Um. And so I started writing, you know, R-rated rom-coms that mm-hmm. were female-driven and and kind of spoke to my experience dating in L.A. And mm-hmm. um, it had, at least in the first drafts, you know, just a lot of souped-up versions of the dates I was going on, the relationships I was in, the relationships my friends were in. And from there, I kind of went too hard mm. in terms of, my anti-likability crusade. Got it, got it, yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote one script where it's just like, everything this woman says is awful. <laughs> you know, like one of those, like, everything is mean and like everything about it is like uncomfortable and bitchy and like, what are you going to do about it? And you know what they did about it? They didn't buy it. <laughs> the collective day. <laughs> no one made that movie. There you go. <laughs> but that was like in the Bad Teacher Bridesmaids era Totally. So right. I was like, I just, I just went too far with it. But then, um, you know, my first staff job was on Young and Hungry, mm-hmm. which uh, was a fantastic show on Freeform, um, and it's it's kind of like the nanny, but instead of kids, it's food. She's a personal okay. chef, and mm-hmm. in the pilot, uh, what I I love in this pilot is that she goes to do her trial dinner for this young tech millionaire who Mm. is hiring a private chef. And this is her dream job. You know, she's waiting tables and she knows she has a culinary voice. Like Julia Mm. Child is her hero. Um, And she is like, I am a food mind reader. I can do this. Mm. Um, (laughs) And she makes a whole proposal dinner. And then uh, the person being proposed to doesn't show up uh, and and breaks up with him and he's super depressed. So then she's like, "You st- let's eat the dinner. And yeah. they wind up eating the dinner and drinking all the wine and sleeping together in the pilot. And it's this great thing of like, it, she's got every, I mean, it's Emily Osment, who's the most charming person on the who's planet. Outstanding. Who's outstanding. outstanding. She's such a great actress. Um, and she is good at her job. And she's perky and blonde and she's super (laughs) nice to everyone. And there's some people being mean to her, but she's still nice to them. You know, she's got all the likability stuff. And then she does this thing that it's like, you're not allowed to do that. Wait, what? Yeah. She she gets drunk and has sex with this guy (laughs) in the pilot. And then like ends up getting the job and going to work for him. And it's like, oh, you're you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to have this messy thing. And it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be like... Well, she set his house on fire and like took a <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be the worst person in the world mm-hmm. to kind of test the limits on a protagonist and a woman protagonist that we'll root for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really connected with that with that pilot, and I was so happy when I got that job because I just I really 
felt like, oh, that's what I've kind of been missing in these in these spec features that I've been writing is is maybe a little bit of the the subtlety and the nuance yeah. <laughs> there. You know, I was so excited that I was going to prove everybody wrong that yeah. kind yeah. of didn't really prove any point whatsoever. Whereas I think when you take something like that and say, hey, what if she sleeps with them in the pilot? Yeah. People can have so-called likable qualities mm-hmm. while also being real and messy. And, you know, you want a protagonist you can root for. That doesn't mean they have to be the best person in the world, but maybe just like, don't make them someone that you wouldn't want to spend 90 minutes watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, in the area of, like, now you're in charge, and it's of something, like, targeted, I'd imagine, like, young adult, young consumer programming with iCarly. Like, mm-hmm. maybe you're bringing back those millennials who, those, like, younger millennials who grew up on that show, and, and maybe you're getting, like, new younger folks on top of that. What has been the challenge for you of working in that space? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really tough because you've got the little voice in the back of your head, like, you are ruining my childhood. You know, you yeah. don't want to, you got to protect Carly. You, you yeah. got to make sure that <laughs> that she, she's not doing something that doesn't feel true to the character. And that's a very yeah. nice, very loyal, very creative, you know, she doesn't have a lot of big flaws, which is, I think, why we've tried to dig into um, some of the dynamics that were already there from the original show. But mm-hmm. um, I think are heightened with the addition of, of Harper that like mm-hmm. maybe Carly is a little too innocent. Maybe she's a little bit yeah. of a goody goody. And I think especially in season two, we were really able to get into that um, mm-hmm. and have some fun with that. Um, uh-huh. Or also Miranda can be kind of a good girl. So like we'll mm-hmm. use real things from her life as well. Um, right. And so, yeah, just kind of, and, and a lot of our writers too, just saying like, not necessarily massive character flaws, but like some some color that contrasts her with with the other characters because we don't want to suddenly undo this smart, loyal, creative, kind character that people the adore. The reboot of yeah, I, exactly. I mean, I, you know, maybe maybe we'll get there. I mean, in the last episode, we it's all about. Uh, female anger and, uh-huh. uh, you know, how she's not allowed to express anger online and sh- that carries over into her real life. And yeah, trying to look at things to subvert the idea that the character, Miranda, all of it, that these people have to be likable, these characters and, and these actors have to be likable mm-hmm. and saying like, well, what does that look like? You know, we did an episode where she's in a fake relationship because her ex-boyfriends are mad at her. So she's like, oh, what's the only way I can get men to stop bothering me? Pretend I have a boyfriend. (laughs) 100%. 100%. We kind of get into some of those tropes that an influencer, content creator like Carly would have to deal with, but Mm -hmm. also that Miranda deals with in playing that character. So it's fun. We get to be a little bit meta with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now as we we come toward the end of our time, uh, 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 a thing I'm wondering about then is, what do you feel like with the strides that we've made, like with with representation on screen, like with what sort of women are allowed to be, likability, anger, sort of a broader rep, the breadth of representation? What do you feel like is like the subversion you're waiting for now? Like, what's the subversion oh, that wow. is kind of like on our doorstep at this moment in 2020? Two, 2022. <laughs> I'm stuck in like pre-pandemic time. I'm like, so before lockdowns. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think that. We've seen some of this, but off the top of my head, I would say um, a a happy non-romantic ending. Yeah. We've seen it in TV some, but then, you know, we know the next one, the next relationship is right around the corner. But I I, I want to see, you know, a, a rom-com where, like, the big love story is the self, but it's not actually, like, secretly not funny and not, you know, uh-huh. that there's... There's a real thing where at the end it's, and I know why that doesn't happen. It's not satisfying, but mm-hmm. I, I bet somebody can crack it. I, I can't. Um, but <laughs> I would love to see, you know, a journey of self-love that's a, a real rom-com structure. Especially, I mean, when you're saying 2020 by accident, I mean, we all spent so much time by ourselves. Oh uh, we, we, we've had these personal growth solo journeys so many of us that let's see that let's see what that looks like given as much joy Mm -hmm. and kind of romance as as a typical romantic story the idea of like 
choosing oneself in that way being mm-hmm. tantamount to the ways in which we have seen romantic conclusions play out for over and over and ever and ever again forever uh that would be really nice yes that this is a great exciting choice if it's the right choice for you yeah ali shouten thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us but and for for watching both the movies and coming in so well considered i'm so glad we got <laughs> to dig into the the details of this because you were so, so fun. ready for it oh my gosh i didn't even know how much I was bursting to talk about this stuff. I just, your insights were very inspiring and exciting. <laughs> well, thank you for saying so. And thank you for sharing your time with us. And I'm ready to dive. I'm ready to dive into new iCarly now. Okay, good. Yeah. I guess by the time this airs, uh, all 10 episodes of season two will probably be out. So get that Paramount Plus free trial. Watch some <laughs> iCarly. Uh, let me know what you think. Thank you, Allie. <laughs> thank you. Thank you again to Ali Shout and Seeks. As we mentioned, season two of iCarly is streaming on Paramount Plus right now. Both When Harry Met Sally and You've Got Mail are streaming on Netflix and HBO Max. So go nuts, get all of the Meg Ryan you can handle. And you know what? Get out there and find the ones I mentioned too, like IQ and French Kiss. Like those are downstream Meg Ryan movies that are every bit as good as her like iconic Hall of Fame hits. But for now, I've got one quick thing before I go. And as I promised, it is a massive vibe shift. The vibe shift is here, everybody. And it is this one quick thing before I go. In 2018, a movie called came out, South Korean movie called The Witch Part One, The Subversion from director, writer and director Park Hoon Jung. And it is an excellent like, girl escapes facility, goes off to live, you know, life. She forgets her past. She lives in a nice little family and then realizes the true nature of her identity, which is she is a living weapon. And then all hell breaks loose. People got to find her. This is a classic, um, preternaturally strong, capable killer uh, assassin girl story. Like Hannah, like Wolverine. This exists in that tradition, but make it South Korean. So add like an extra layer of awesome, basically. Um, well, that came out in 2018. And I I don't know how franchising works in the South Korean film industry. I knew this was a part one. I didn't know if that meant part two had already been shot. I didn't know if that meant we were getting a part two, how many parts there were gonna be. So for a couple of years, I was like, damn, like Oh, we're going to get which part two? Like, I love that movie. Is that ever going ever gonna to come? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. It is, it is here now. I only found out about this recently, that it, that, it, that it was coming into existence, that it did exist. It is out now um, in theaters. Might not be the easiest thing to find in theaters. Um, if you are in Los Angeles, it is playing at the CVG uh, Theater in Koreatown. So it could be a specialty cinema house. I'm just saying, like, you go looking for it and you can't find it, keep your eyes open. Like, it should it should have a VOD release before too long. Like, I, I think the, the Witch Part 1, I think, premiered on Netflix. So keep your eye out. This should be, this should be widening um, over time. But The Witch Part 2, man, same writer-director. It's a separate story. It's The Witch Part 2, the other one. So it's like, okay, is this a companion character to our, our heroine girl from the first one? And the answer is yes, it is. So we open on, yet again, another girl leaving a facility surrounded by carnage. She's in a hall filled with bodies, blood, guts, everywhere. This little girl emerges looking like she's in a straitjacket that's been like cut undone, soaked in blood, walking out into the snowy day. We immediately become aware that she has powers like her other one counterpart. She gets caught up in a very chaotic situation, ends up in a van with bad people. They do bad things. She fucks them up, crashes the van, And she is taken in by a nice young woman and her brother. Well, they, much like in the subversion, they are not aware of the true nature of the girl that they have uh, brought into their home. And there are even more forces determined to ensnare this girl, referred to only as the girl, and played by an actress who goes simply by Cynthia. 
Cynthia doing an amazing job as a silent girl killer assassin character. Um, This movie takes The Witch Part 1, The Subversion, but it plays by sequel rules in that we're going bigger, body count's going to be higher, powers are going to be like even more intense, like even more dialed up. There's going to be more blood. There's going to be more. There's going to be higher concept. And it this movie, the other one, fully turns into a superheroes at war story. This is this is the gritty superhero origin story horror movie that you need. I'm going to say you need that maybe like, hey, I love all that Marvel stuff. But like, do I want a rated R ultra bloody answer to that? Yes. Do I love a sneaky superhero movie like this? Like Thelma, famously Thelma from the Eskil Folked episode. Um, yeah. So if you liked Thelma and you were like, I like gay, surprising superhero origin story, muted drama tales. And you were like, I like surprising superhero story origin tales that are also bloody as shit and uh, with really great violence. That is The Witch Part 2, the other one. And yes, it ends absolutely leading straight into a Part 3. So I I was waiting I was waiting with no certainty whatsoever for Part 2. I got it. I hope Part 3 has already been shot. I hope it already exists because I'm ready for it right now. Um, if this is a trilogy, bring on the conclusion. If this is the beginning of a franchise that's going to last 20 years, I want that too. So... Get out there, check out The Witch Part 1, The Subversion, so you can chase that Witch, The Witch Part 2, the other one. Uh, it's great stuff. I want to tell you about these cinematic gems uh, when they are harder ones to find. And that's it, guys. That is what we talked about after talking about Meg Ryan. So we've covered it all today. That's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at feelingscene@maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.